Glad you're here. We'll continue our series tonight. Uh, this is, I guess, week six, if you count the four weeks I did last fall, and then last night, we, last week we started uh, lesson five with um, apostasy. And uh, so this, where if you're new to where, uh, where do we go from here is a, is a series I based off of Dr. David Jeremiah, uh, his book, uh, and I, I read the book, and I like the book. And basically the gist is, how do I process what I see current day in the world with end times and where God's word and what, how should I as a Christian respond to what I see that's happening? Because if you're not sure, in the last five years, there's been a lot of weird stuff happening, but it's really not that new, and it's not a surprise to God. None of these things are, uh, but uh, the enemy has a way of twisting it and making us doubt everything and my future and my security and What's the world, what's America going to be like? What's the world going to be like? Then you watch the news and you can worry and just be angry all the time and up your blood pressure medicine. You could do all these things or you could just have the peace of God and know God has it in control and then I should be faithful to him as I live in this world that has its difficulties. As I start uh, tonight, we're looking at end times people. Uh, I read a story about Sean Hopwood. He grew up in a Christian home. In rural Nebraska, he had parents who started a local church, so he had a good upbringing. He was the oldest, Sean was the oldest of five children. He was smart, excelled on all his standardized tests. He played basketball in high school. He even won a scholarship to play at Nebraska Midland University. However, in his teen years, uh, he decided uh, he got a little disillusioned with his basketball skills and what he wanted to do with his life, and so he decided to stop going to classes and he dropped out of school and never graduated high school. He decided to join the United States Navy. He ended up in the Persian Gulf guarding warships. Uh, And uh, during that time when he was serving, he got uh, acute pancreatitis, almost almost died. Caused him to leave the Navy on honorable discharge. And that's when his life took a turn for the worst, when he came back. Uh, His lostness overtook him as a young man. He turned to alcohol and drugs, uh, he grew in raging addictions. He even became depressed. One day, he was uh, drinking with his friends, and they thought it would be a good idea to go rob a bank. And they didn't just rob a bank. They decided to rob five banks while they're armed. And uh, sure enough, he squandered all the money on nothing. Eventually, uh, Sean's life came crashing down when in the lobby of Doubletree, uh, the Doubletree Hotel in Omaha, he was tackled and arrested by FBI agents. Uh, a year later, he, uh, he stood before a federal judge who sentenced him to 12 years in prison. Shortly thereafter, he's on a plane, handcuffed, shackled, heading to a federal penitentiary, and he was only 23. His life was growing worse and worse by the day. I'll give you the rest of the story as, as we get to the end of this, but it does make you pose the question, why, why do people go the wrong way? He had so much promise, so much potential. Great parents, great place to live, great skills, great fun. He was smart. And one thing led to another, and uh, he was a good person that wound up doing bad things. For thousands of years, people have been debating these types of questions, you know, sociologists and lay people and pastors and psychologists and counselors. Why do human beings basically do evil? Every time I do that, it gets really loud, doesn't it? Maybe I shouldn't look down. All right. Uh, 
For much of his life, a retired British uh, physician, Theodore Dalrymple, I'll say, believed in basic goodness of humanity. During his career, he worked in hospitals and prisons, and he traveled all over the country, uh, different continents, where he, he would examine people and why they behave they, they, the way they do. He initially believed that widespread evil was impossible unless there's tyrants in every place, which you wouldn't have tyrants everywhere, but where you do have tyrants, there's a lot of evil that happens. Slowly, though, he changed his mind, and he, he listened to the stories of his patients, and he determined that evil is something inside of us, something we can all freely choose. He quotes and says this. He says, Never again will I be tempted to believe in the fundamental goodness of man or that evil is something exceptional or alien to human nature. He's right. According to God's word, mankind, ever since Genesis chapter 3, when uh, the serpent came and tempted Adam and Eve to sin against God, to go against God and his authority, ever since that time, we've had sin. Sin has been a problem with this world. It, it was then. It, it is now. It will Always be till Christ returns. Romans 3, 10 through 12, it says, No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. So we all have this sin problem. Kevin DeYoung is a pastor at a church in the north. He says this. He says, Sin is every human heart. It's the villain with a thousand faces. It's the man who gets a woman pregnant and leaves town. It's, uh, it's also the family man who cuts down his wife and ignores his kids. It's the mean-spirited woman who talks bad about everybody. It's also the sweet lady who never says an unkind word but harbors all kind of resentment and grudges in her heart. It's the kid who swears at his parents and blows off everyone who tries to help him. It's also the kid who gets straight A's, keeps curfew, smiles all the time at church. But on one enormous, he's one enormous bundle of pride and self-righteousness. Sin is a problem. To, all, to everyone, to every person, every man, woman, boy and girl, sin is a problem. And it, and it is a problem that's affecting our world. Our problem is, is, isn't just that we live in a sinful world. No, it's that we live in a world of sinful people. Our sin affects everything that's happening. Sin is a blood disease that entered our bloodstream through Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 when they rebelled against God. And this disease has descended through generations after generation after generation to the present. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Jeremiah the prophet, he says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? Jesus himself, For without me you can do nothing, he says in John 15.5. Without the blood of Christ and what he did on the cross, there is no hope for overcoming sin in this world. But thank goodness, the good news is we do have Christ's gracious gift of what he offered on the cross. So there's trouble. There's a troubling trend in today's world. There's rampant godless, uh, godlessness. It seems to be everywhere. Uh, gun violence, depression, uh, homicide, addictions. You choose your negative headline on whatever news station you watch or feed you listen to or whatever, it's nothing but negative, negative, negative. The world and maybe even the news, they all know that something's broken. They won't say it's sin, but God's word says it's sin. So what does this all mean? 
uh, people are, this godlessness, this turning away from God uh, is going to get worse before it gets better. God is not surprised by this. Uh, Paul, in one of his last letters, he's going to write to his, uh, his, his apprentice, Timothy, the son in the faith that he has. And he's writing his letter to Timothy from a Roman cell. And at the end of his letter, uh, Paul is going to, to give a detailed picture of how he's going to think people are going to be when the end times are, are close or are here. Uh, and he's going to say that. So if you want to open your Bibles, look at 2 Timothy 3, uh, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 3. On the notes, there's the scriptures on there. I'm not going to make you turn to all of them, but you can have them if you want to go back and look at them. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And I'm in the New King James. Man, I've got to stop doing that. I don't know what to do. Uh, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, uh, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Paul didn't really hold any punches. He gives his picture of what it's going to look like, and it's not really a great picture of how people in general are characterized uh, in the end times when Christ is is close to returning. Uh, Lovers of themselves, money, uh, lovers of money, boisters, proud, blasphemers, goes on. And he gives, uh, in verse 13, look at the, the verse 13 of that chapter. He goes on for a bit and he says, But evil men and apostles will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says in those three words, it will get worse and worse. Um, and be more deceptive, more people being lost, more people not uh, submitting to God's authority, God's plan for their, God's love. No. No, instead they chase after these other things. Whether it's the enemy deceiving them or them going for their own ambitions and own desires, it's probably a combination of both. But there will be this increasing uh, level of bad people in the world. Bad times and bad people. John Calvin, he wrote this, The hardness of, uh, or danger of this time is in Paul's view. Not to, it's not war, it's not famine, disease, or any other calamities. It's... it's It's the wicked and depraved ways of men. He describes how mankind is, and it's it's messed up. It's not good. He gives 19 specific character descriptions here. Uh, I don't have time to dive into all 19, so I'm going to group them, okay? Because I'm teaching, and I I can do what I want. Uh, The first one will be, or we can do all 19. It'll take a while. We could be here. We do a lock-in. It'll be fun. The first group is, is selfish people. People are all about themselves. They're lovers of themselves, it says in verse 2. Uh, uh, the term is narcissism. You know anyone like that? Just ask them how they're doing, and they can talk to you for about 30, 45 minutes about how they are doing and everything about them, and it's me, and it's this, and it's that. Uh, and I think the, uh, you know, the... He describes it as uh, they boast, they're proud, they're, they're blasphemers, it says in verse 2. 
Uh, it seems like they love to talk about themselves, and they build themselves up all the time. And it's even worse on social media because you can, whatever image you want to project, good, bad, the, whatever, and then you go meet that person, and you're like, it seems nothing like what your Facebook says you're like or whatever. I, I, I don't, you know, people love to give one aspect of who they are maybe on social media, and then when you find the real person, you're like, I don't even think the two things match. They're so different. He says also there's blasphemers. It's a theological term that basically you verbally abuse God. These people have no respect for God, no respect for his position in their life, that he's their creator. They just slander God and everything that relates to God and anything that is, is about that. Uh, and not only do they always talk about themselves, but they also manage to always put other people down. The more I can put someone else down or make them not look good, the better I feel and look about myself. Yeah. You're thinking about self. And there's a lot of people that do that. And if we're not careful, we can become one of those people. That's why in the Bible, Jesus or, or in the, Paul's letters, they say all the, love, all the one another's that we should be doing. Love one another. Give to one another. Think of one another. Love someone else like you would love yourself. Our tendency is that we think way too much of ourselves and not about the other person, which is why, uh, you know, Six of the Ten Commandments is about the one another's, the last six. How you treat other people says a lot about your relationship with God. We should love God and we should love others like we love ourselves. So you're going to have this selfish mentality. If you're not sure if that's happening, uh, it is. A lot of people thinking all about themselves. Um, But then that leads to the second part, or you could group these in, and that's splintered families. Families that, uh, they're damaged. The family is under attack in the year 2022. It's nothing new, uh, but it's been happening for decades now. You could say, when did it start? Well, uh, God created the family, right? And so the enemy would love to totally mess that up because In Ephesians, it says, like, marriage is like a picture of how Christ loves the church, and it's supposed to be a picture of how God loves his family, but yet a lot of families are not a very good picture of that. Statistics of divorce and how many that actually marry stay together is it's going downward as the years go progress. Um, But then not only that, just think how we redefine what a family is. You totally do away with God's standards. Sex is what you feel. Uh, it, it's a mess. <laughs> uh, and the enemy, for sure, is, is at work. And then also just, our, I think, our sinful, evil desire to that we can control. There, there's no entity, no God, no anything else that can tell us yay or nay. I can call my own shots. I can do whatever I want, which is the ultimate uh, self. I just live for myself, isn't it? Which, if you don't have a relationship with God, that's how we all lived. Um, you would think I would never live that way, but if you don't have a God that made a relationship, that made a, you know, that saved you, made a way to save you, and you don't have the relationship, I don't know when you got saved. I got saved at a young age, at eight years old, so I, I don't have the cool testimony where I was in prison for 14 years, and then I, you know, got all the tattoos off my arms, and I, you know, went to revivals. I don't have that story, um, but that also doesn't mean if you have tattoos or if you went to revivals, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, we often like to 
oh man, that testimony is so great. Well, God also is great in that he saved me at eight years of age and kept me from doing uh, what the opening guy did. (laughs) Uh, He saved me from a lot of hurt, but that doesn't mean I couldn't have done that. All of us are prone to wonder, saved or not saved. But as you see this, he says they're splintered families, uh, and he talks about a lot of virtues. Well, they are virtues, but then he, he negates the virtue. Uh, he says children, uh, as they get closer to the end of times, children are going to be disobedient. Negating the virtue, the virtue would be you're, you're obedient. You negate it, you're disobedient. They will be not grateful, but ungrateful. They will be not holy, but unholy. They will be unloving. They will be unforgiving. This is how the children will be. Um, I, uh, my wife teaches in a school. I went to a public school. My wife teaches in a private school. I'm sure we have some teachers in here, whatever. Uh, if I surveyed some of the teachers and said, kind of how are the children in general? Private, public, homeschool, whatever. Are they more respectful to you? Are they more virtuous in these things, or are they less? And I would say probably most teachers would say less. In whatever arena you want to put it in, you can have disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, and unforgiving in all types of schools. Why? Because the family's messed up. They don't learn those traits. Less and less people's statistics are getting saved at a young age, or getting saved at all. So the world becomes more Self-centered and more just out of control and evil. So those are the characteristics that Paul says to describe how the family and the kids in the family will be. They will be truth breakers. They'll be stubborn, hard-hearted, uh, and uh, they'll lack the capacity to forgive. They'll live as though they themselves cannot be forgiven because they've never experienced forgiveness, so why would they, how could they share that with anybody else? Um, so Paul doesn't really print, uh, portray a, a great picture of the future. So how should God's people live in light of this? This is how the world is going to get as we get closer to Jesus Christ returning. How should we respond? Um, well, I would start with take the negative off, the virtue. Have kids that actually are obedient, grateful, holy, loving, and forgiving. And if you're going to teach your kids how to do that, then you've got to model that for them. So moms and dads and grandma and grandpas, when you mess up or you blow up and you have a little anger outburst or whatever, then you ask for your kids or grandkids' forgiveness. You model that for them. You show them love. You show them how to follow God, how to follow his things. You are respectful to those in authority over you. If we do nothing but badmouth President Biden the whole time, why would we expect our kids to respect the authority in their life, government authorities? I'm not saying you do that. Or you could badmouth Trump. Whatever president you want to badmouth. And you know we all do it from time to time. Be careful what you're modeling to your kids and your grandkids. So you can also have shattered families, but then that could lead to the last, which is basically because you have shattered families, you can have shattered societies. Dr. Tony Evans, he spoke about this. He called it the ripple effect of sin on society. He said, what if you were a messed up man and you have a family? That messed up man or woman would then what? 
have a messed up family because they're part of it. And if you have a messed up family that goes to a church, then you have now made it a messed up church. And if you're a messed up uh, church member that lives in a neighborhood, now you have a messed up neighborhood that lives in part of a city, so you have a messed up city, that lives in part of a county, so you got a messed up county. And then you have a messed up state. And then you have a messed up nation. So if you boil it all down, you would have a messed up man contributing to a messed up family, resulting in a messed up church, causing a messed up neighborhood that resides in a messed up city that's part of a messed up county, that contributes to a messed up state, that is contributing to a messed up country. And your country's part of the world, so of course you messed up that country, and it's going to mess up the whole world. He's describing the same progression that, that Paul says in 2 Timothy 3. This progression starts. And oftentimes we want to start the change by whether it's a vote or whether it's by saying the right thing on social media or whether it's by uh, protesting this or that, but we never want to look in the mirror. God changes societies and families and he changes all these things by changing individuals that are truly in love with God and live for his principles. And we can be mad about all the world and we can take a stance on this and that issue, but ultimately... Look in the mirror. Are you contributing to the shattered society? And if we are, then we should seek the forgiveness of God for doing that. So this is the picture of how Paul describes it. So where do we go from from here? How do we we live as Christians in this this world where selfishness seems to reign? uh, Immorality is, is increasing constantly. How can we be end times people in a dark world? Uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, he had that light bulb moment, or he, electricity, I'm not sure, he did something, he invented something. Uh, but he, uh, he had darkness in his streets, and he wanted to make a change, so he couldn't get everyone to light up their porch lights, so he decided to do it. And as people walked by, and they saw it, eventually they liked it, and the security they had from it, and so then it spread, and then more people started doing it. Uh, and, uh, and eventually, you know, all the houses were lit up at nighttime. Um, our example, and I say that, our example is, is, is greater than, uh, than a campaign. People watch what you do more than what, they, what you say. I don't have to run for politics to be an example of being Christ-like. I should be an imitation of God, and I should be an, uh, I should be an example, a testimony that God makes a difference in my life, even if it's all smooth sailing or even if it's really a rough ride. Either way, uh, I'm an example, a testimony that God, uh, God loves me. So, I want you all to flip over to Ephesians 5. We'll, we'll stay there for the rest of the night. Uh, Paul's going to talk that we should be, we should be light. Um, it's a constant theme, kind of in movies, is light and darkness. I always think of Star Wars, because you know, the force is dark, you know. Well, actually, the force is good or bad, it doesn't matter. But you know, I, I lost most of y'all. Star Wars is a movie. And uh, a lot of movies, a lot of them. Um, but basically, you got light and darkness fighting each other. And it's fictional. It's not true. You would crush some spirits. It's not true. But uh, uh, it's fictional. But you get some themes of it. And I like the theme that's in it because there is this battle that is happening. It's called a spiritual battle. And it sure enough is light versus dark. Not as Star Wars would call it. Um, but there's plenty of passages in here that talk about that Christians are the light and the darkness is the world and those that are not Christians, that's darkness. 
Um, it is a reminder to us, and even as we read these passages, as Christians, we should not... Um, it's easy to become, uh, not a hypocrite, a uh, greater than thou. I mean, look at those lost people and what they do. And you can become pharisaical. You become snobby. You can become, uh, I'm so much better than them, right? But when we look at the lost people in the lost world, we shouldn't expect them to act like Christians. They do not have a relationship with God. They do not have the Holy Spirit in them. They're simply living for their fleshly desires and living for themselves, which is what everyone does before they become, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I challenge you that as we look at light and darkness, don't be mad at the darkness for being dark. Pray for them, love them. But as we're trying to show the light, don't be condescending towards the dark people. That's not how Jesus did it, is he? He goes to the woman at the well that has all the affairs. Does he, like, put a mirror in front of her face? It's like, man, woe is you. And stone her or something? No. No, he relates with her, and he loves her, and then he gives her hope and says, there's a better way to live. And he doesn't make her choose. He lets her choose. So I think that's something to remember. Uh, as if we're light bearers, we need to keep that in mind. But I think the first thing is remember the grace you received as a Christian. Remember the grace you receive as a Christian. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things are exposed or made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So he uses this metaphor of light. It's all throughout scripture. Uh, It's going to describe the difference that should happen to anyone that's experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, Any Christian is now a child of the light. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. Uh, Paul on Damascus Road, he goes from killing Christians to being the lead evangelist missionary for Christ. There should be a change in our lives uh, when we experience this love of Christ and that it happens. So we become the light. And Paul here describes it that there is the darkness is going to crash, contrast the two. We need to recognize and remember that uh, Christ should be changing us. We should be different from the darkness. If you look just like the darkness, that's a problem. I mean, Paul says here, don't, if you're the light, then don't do the things that the darkness people do. Duh. Seems common sense, but Yet it seems like at times we want to dull our brightness and we want to blend in. And the more the world turns more dark, the more obvious the light should be. The more the world turns into what is acceptable to watch on television, what's on a movie, what's on feeds, what's on social media, whatever, what's on YouTube, the world is going to keep saying evil, 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 evil. If you continue to digest the evil, 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 you haven't taken any stand. You're not being the light. You're being just like the darkness. And then if you worry, why can't I? I just can't think about God. I can't focus. Well, how much 
of the darkness are you allowing into your light of your life? Paul says you should be different. And the difference should start when you get saved. And then you remember that. You go back to that. Not that you don't wrestle with the flesh. You don't wrestle with the temptations that are still here in this life. We will still battle them. It's a spiritual battle. Put on the full armor of God in Ephesians 6. But don't, don't play with the darkness. But then secondly, reflect the light you have been given. And that's in those same verses, 8 through 10, he says, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding what is acceptable to the Lord. Again, too many Christians are trying to be kind of a gray area. I'm going to be right, right down the middle. I'm going to be lukewarm. You know what Jesus said about being lukewarm. I spit you out. <laughs> He's talking about a church. But uh, there's, it's an oxymoron, a lukewarm Christian. shouldn't be that way, but it can be. Psalm 34, 5 says, They looked to him and were radiant, their faces were not ashamed. Isaiah 65, Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy. Basically, if I'm in love with Christ, if he's my Savior and he's my Lord, then I should demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit in my life, in my daily life. He should be changing me from the inside out, and then he gives three descriptors of what that should look like if you're a light bearer. He says, goodness, righteousness, and truth. That should be a characterization of your life if you're a person of light. People of goodness. Um, righteousness. There should be a holiness, a holy standard in your life because God puts it there through his word. I know what's right and I know what's wrong and I'm not going to do what's wrong even if no one knows that I could do what's wrong. I'm not going to do what's wrong because God wants me to do what's right. And his word says, this is right or this is wrong. On a lot of, lot of things. There are some gray areas, but most things are pretty, pretty clear. Regardless of the way the world goes and the culture and what they say is acceptable, now I'm going to do what's right because God wants me to do what's right. People of goodness. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, See that no one tenders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Do what's right in the pursuit of for others. Because there's a lot of people that don't do that. Again, most people just think for themselves. A Christian should be the one that says, I want to love, I want to love someone else. Like God would want me to love them. Because they're created in his image. Regardless of what society says. People of goodness. But also people of righteousness. 1 Timothy 6.11 But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. To pursue righteousness is to chase after it with everything that you are. You are trying to hunt it down. You're a go-getter. You're running hard after it. Um, I don't know what habits you have in your life, or maybe you had some habits in your life. I'm getting up there in my years. My kids are aging me constantly. Um, But, you know, when you're young... Remember the days, you're 20 or whatever, and you just want to be older, or 16, you just want to be older, right? And then when you're older, you just want to be younger. Just enjoy where you are. It's just a great word of wisdom there. But anyhow, everybody wants to be whatever else. Well, as you get older, you get to go to doctors, and these doctor visits, now I'm preaching to the choir here, but these doctor visits turn into not fun. I don't look forward to doctor visits. More blood tests, and then you get the call, something is out of whack. 
And then you got to have a follow-up visit that they say, this is what you got to do. Change your diet, exercise, blah, blah, blah. And you got all of these things you got to do. And most of the things they say to do, even though they're good, I'm, don't, I, I, just don't worry about me, I'm okay. I'm okay. But I had a bit of an eye-opening experience that God, through the doctor, I think he can even use doctors, some of them might be saved, but um, just trust the science, guys, trust the science. That's the phrase of the last three years, in case you didn't know. Um, that's what they say when they just want you to follow what they're saying. Anyhow, so you get a negative report, and then you realize, sure enough, something, whether it's eating or exercise, i got to do something different if I want something different to happen. And as you get older, you realize these habits, I have introduced some bad habits in my life that I never really would have done. And then you want to start gung-ho on starting a good habit. I'll give you a prime example. This is just me, okay? They have an app that can count your daggum calories. I, didn't, I used to not care about how much uh, a water burger with cheese, with all the bacon, get the bacon, make it a large fry, make it a large Diet Coke, whatever. I didn't even care what calories were because they didn't matter to me at all because my, uh, my, metaz- my t- metabolism just knocked it off, right? And then you get older and you sit around a little bit more and you move a little bit less because your joints hurt and whatever, or life happens, whatever, and then before you know it, you know, you get some news that maybe I should change some habits in my life. So I say all that because to this, I have walked 12 miles this week. This is so absurd for me to do. My knees hurt right now as I'm thinking about it, but uh, I'm trying to be a little bit healthier, and it's hard to get new habits and to do the right thing that you should, even physically, right? Think how much more it's hard to do the right thing spiritually. Especially as the culture says, just do whatever you want. Do whatever feels good. Nobody can tell you anything, right? You're going countercultural. Paul says here, you should be people of righteousness when the world is saying there is no righteousness. And why would you, why would you do that? It's not a simple call to be good or righteous, but it's what Paul, well, God through the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write and say, you should be people that are like that. Because the world needs people like that. And then last, people of truth, people that have integrity, they're people of character. They do what's right when no one else knows that they're doing what's right. What is integrity? I always heard integrity is what you're like when no one knows, no one's around. It's the real you. It's in your thoughts. It's in your everything. This is the bar that Jesus raised, okay? It's not just that you you know, lust in your, it's not just that you act upon your lust. No, if you think it in your heart, it's as if you did it. So even our motives and our thoughts that most people don't know, but now we have Twitter so you can verbalize every thought you have in all the world, which gets a lot of people in trouble. But some things should be unexpressed. But uh, there's a lot less people that stand for truth. And we live in a day that predetermines truth before it comes out. My opinion is the truth. Well, not necessarily. Most times, not really. First uh, Peter 2.9, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. We must always proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Be a person like that when the world is filled with people that are not like that. Then thirdly, reveal the darkness you see. Reveal the darkness you see. So remember the grace that you received. Uh, reflect the light you've become and reveal the darkness you see around you. He says in that Ephesians 5 passage that all things that are exposed by the light, uh, the darkness doesn't like the light. 
It exposes it. It makes it clear. Um, Christ should change everything in our relationships. The light should make known or bring conviction when there's darkness or temptation or sin in our lives. And Christ does that. And there's forgiveness at, at, through Christ. But even when we have fellowship, and we're still in the world, uh, we still live in this world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. Again, we should be different. Uh, Jesus warns us that everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed, but he who does the truth comes to the light. No one in sin and darkness loves to be exposed and told that they're bad and wrong. But sure enough, God's word says they're bad and wrong. <laughs> Whether you believe it or not, it's just the facts. Sin, sin does that, and we all inherit that disease through Adam and Eve. So as Christians, when God comes into our lives, he should change us. He should give us a new description. Now we're children of light. He gives us a new direction. Uh, we're walking towards his light. We have a new desire. We pursue the will of God and his righteousness. A new distinction. We no longer walk according to the unfruitful works of darkness. No. Uh, we have a new duty, and that is to spread the light of, of God to everyone that we can. When Jesus comes into our life, he switches the light on. That can never be turned off again. God says, if I saved you, you're in my hand. Who could snatch you out of my hand? If God saves you, then... You can never be unsaved. If you saved yourself, you could be unsaved. So we should be that light in a dark world, even in the end times as the darkness seems to getting worse and worse. Don't be surprised by that. Paul predicted that. It's going to happen. But yet, God is on his throne. Christ is on his throne. He will come back. Don't lose hope. Sean Hopwood, I started with his story. He's heading to federal prison at the age of 23. Uh, in prison, he gets a job as a prison librarian, uh, and he begins to read a lot of law books. He begins takes, taking on cases for fellow prisoners and witnessing or, or writing petitions, uh, and they called him the jailhouse lawyer. He begins corresponding with a friend named Annie. He had this secret crush on Annie when he was in high school. Uh, and uh, as he's in prison, his parents are, are continuing to pray for him and writing him letters constantly, sending him Christian books. And uh, one day, Sean's friend in prison, Robert, uh, gets saved. Jesus Christ saves him. And Sean took that all in, and he found it difficult to rationalize with his darkened life that he's experienced up to that point. After Sean was, uh, was released from prison in 2009, he and Annie, they get engaged, and and he goes to the pastor, and he's going to officiate the wedding. And this pastor asks him what they believe about Jesus. So he wants to know how they relate to him. Are they saved or not saved? What, what about the shed blood of Christ? Was it shed for him or not? Um, and the pastor says that the shed blood of Christ, he even said that it was shed for you, Sean, and what you did. Sean mulled that over for a while, and he described it, and these are his words. He said, the next day I couldn't escape the feeling that God has been pursuing me for a long time and that if I just abandoned my stubbornness and selfishness and hand everything over to him, I would find redemption. 
What is redemption? Well, he says it's Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, which Christ says we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that lavished it on us. Be redeemed by Christ and him alone. Nobody can save themselves because of their sins and their former past and their evil. But prisoners like him can be redeemed. And he says, we need the gospel grace which says that each of us matters and has worth because we're made in the image of God. Grace says we are not defined by our failures and our faults, but by a love without merit or condition. God's grace was enough to redeem me, Sean says. Sean and Annie get married. Uh, They're baptized and moved to Seattle. Sean attends the University of Washington Law School. To this day, he serves as professor of law at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., where he's spreading light every day. We're living in a messed up world filled with self-centered, self-absorbed, self-indulgent people. But the Bible says, still be light in a dark world. If you're a light bearer, if you're the light of God, then shine. Shine and make a difference. You have to keep in mind that Paul, when he is writing this letter to Ephesus, Ephesus was known as the place of darkness. Sin and and, uh, immorality was everywhere. But yet, Paul says here, Christians are the children of light. God's presence is what makes the difference. That can make city streets glow by Jesus Christ. So as I close tonight, there's good news, bad news. The bad news, I covered that first. People are turning to their own selfish ways, and evil is is having a heyday. But the good news is God has light bearers here, Christians, believers, that can make a difference. Because God wants all to be saved. Whether you've been in prison, whether you have walked with God since you were born, either way, you're a sinner that needs to be saved by the grace of God and put your faith in what Jesus did. So even in dark days, you can experience God's grace, you can exude his radiance, you can exhibit his holiness and brighten up the world. He's empowered you to do it. He's called you to do it. So do it. Or you're dabbling with the darkness and you're not shining. Repent. Change it. Change your behavior. You're a child of God. Let God shine through how you relate to him in worship and then also how you relate to others. And that can be done in a lot of ways. Uh, Where you work, your friends you hang out with in retirement, your golfing buddies, the ladies you shop with, what you do on social media, whatever. Shine the light of God. Because there's a lot of darkness. A lot of darkness. Be a person that has hope, and the hope is simply not in yourself, but it's in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And then your light will shine, make a difference. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the love of Christ that we have. I thank you for the hope that we have in and through Him. I thank you that you are God at work throughout history and the present and even in the future as we look forward to your return one day that you will make all things right but until until then may we as light bearers may we not be um, discouraged or decide to dim our light because of how bad it seems to be getting may our hope be in you and that you're at work and yes there is evil at work but you're greater than he that's in this world. There's nothing impossible for you, so may our hope and our faith be in you, 
that you truly are our light, our light in our lives, and may we then shine and reflect that light in this dark world. And uh, we'll give you the glory for that. And one day we'll be with you forever. We look forward to that. So encourage us, even in these days that seem dark at times. And uh, thank you for what you've done for us through Jesus Christ. And in his name I pray. Amen.